Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus, and this is my podcast. So we got many topics to delve into, and I wanted to thank you for for attending this podcast. The first thing is uh, there is definitely a lot of uh, ostentation, if that's such a word, and a lot of people who are into status and class within the Jewish community, the haves and the have-nots. And the latest thing that trend that I saw really, I think, is the straw that broke the camel's back. And that is uh, some of my wealthy friends went to a hotel program for Tubishvat. So it's 48 hours in a hotel with the family, and they feed you nothing but fruit. Uh, they do have lots of extra toilet paper in the bathroom and also all over the hotel. Uh, the cleaning crew is around there, and the sheets are made out of buxer, and there's, there's a huge wine collection made from uh, pomegranates, and even in the bathtub, they have uh, just, you can bathe in fruit. And I just think this is a little excessive. Just the rest of us have to just hang around, shul, hope that somebody brings in uh, bananas or something like that, and they're all up there in the hotel. Now, Friday night, I was in shul, and <clears throat> were my eyes slightly uh, slanted and maybe looking a little red around the pupils? I have no idea. I, I didn't observe myself. I just went to participate to daven. And behind me during davening is a conversation, and two of my fellow congregants are talking during Marev. But the good news is they were talking about my podcast. Well, they knew that I was listening, but they were still talking about my podcast. Now, first of all, I'm very much against talking during davening, with the exception if it's about my podcast. And at that moment, while people are talking about my podcast, uh, I am thinking to myself, well, I must have died and gone straight to Gan Eden, this is paradise right now, that right behind me, people, real people, are talking about my contribution. So I experienced a little bit uh, of a taste of what uh, paradise is like. Now, there's been some crazy politics in the U.S. and geopolitical scene where the story that the mainstream media will tell you is that the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon. And this is very political and it's very partisan thinking like everything else to try to manufacture a crisis. Here's what really happened. So President Biden, who, in my opinion, has been the best president the United States has ever had since President Biden has become president, has decided or decided uh, with his cabinet that there's inflation, there's a recession, economic times are hard consumers are not spending as much. And so that balloon was actually filled with cash and they were just going to start dropping it wherever people live. Now, you ask, why was it coming from China? Well, the reality is everything that we have is made in China. So the balloon 
that the administration was going to drop cash from was also made in China. So your next question is, so why did the Chinese like send it by air? Because that is the most efficient way to send a flying balloon. And everybody gets, uh, and there's still money actually in the balloon. I'm trying to figure out where it is. But you can see what happens when the news gets in the way and there's a complete overreaction. And thank you, President Biden, for thinking about us. This week I had a personal victory at Jiffy Lube. And that is I paid for an oil change. I used my $15 coupon. And at the same time, they did not upsell me on another $1,000 or $2,000, which typically happens when I go to Jiffy Lube. So I go typically for my oil and I'm, I'm clutching my, my coupon and the guy will come out to me in the waiting room and he's, he has on spec filters from the car and they're covered in dust. And he says, uh, you know, this is, this is potentially very dangerous for you and your family, right? You have a minivan. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe it can go a couple more miles before you or another passenger dies. Do you want to change those filters? And then somebody else will come in and then they'll say, you need to change your uh, fluids. And I'll ask which fluids? And they'll say all the fluids. The car has different fluids. Just like the body has fluids, your car has different fluids. All of them fluids need to be changed. I'm not a car expert, so obviously I'm going to want every single one of my fluids in the car upgraded. The next thing is say, what about those windshield wipers? Like those, you know, according to Consumer Reports, those things need to be changed about every three to five days, especially in Florida. And yours is corroding with rust on it, which is a crisis for your health, particularly your mental health. Would you be interested in switching out those, those windshield wipers? So I'm like, okay, at this point, I mean, what choice do I have? Okay, let's do it. So he said, well, it's actually two types of windshield wipers. There's the less expensive one. And, you know, that is okay, but... You know, it could make you get into a car accident, or we have the ultra deluxe windshield wipers that will cost you about $300, but uh, you're a family man, right? You, you care about your, your family, your wife and kids? Yeah, that's, that is the one that a different consumer report says to get, and, and by, the, by the time I'm out of there, I spent, you know, 20 to 30% of the value of my vehicle this time was complete didanatsach. I went in. I only paid for the oil. Uh, I'm feeling victorious here. One time, actually, from Jiffy Lube, they came out and said, hey, there's a, in addition to the air filters, we noticed a, a dead body in the engine. Do you want to get a casket? We have it here. And at that point, I knew they were just making uh, stuff up. So I got the cheapest casket. I wasn't going to go spring for something more expensive. Now, a, cute, uh, a cool little thing happened last week. My wife and I were sitting down, and naturally, uh, the conversation went to a place where my wife was telling me uh, some of my flaws and or some of the mistakes that I've made. And my wife's point was to communicate to me that, one, she was aware of it, and two, she was going to communicate to me different different issues that she had with my behavior, which, by the way, were, were completely valid. And so 
I, I'm exercising full restraint not to comment and make any wise guy remarks. And, you know, once the floodgates start going, you know, 30, 45 minutes in, uh, my wife hasn't taken a breath and she's she's going strong. And at, at some point in time, she says, I think I finished. I think I finished telling you all the things that are bothering me right now about you. To which I told my wife, I think you need to give another minute. I think, why don't you just give it another couple of minutes? Because I'm sure that there's a couple of things you may have left out. And she said, no, 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 we're, we're done. And then a couple of minutes later, she says, I actually just remembered one more thing to add to that list. So, uh, like I said, completely valid. And uh, I wonder if you ever had a similar experience. So another thing that I want to share is that yesterday, approximately sometime during the day, was my one-year anniversary for doing the Schmoll Tenant House podcast. I've done, this is my 31st episode, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a nice creative outlet. My objective was to have a creative outlet and make from people laugh. And I hope I continue to do that whenever I do it. I average, just uh, to give you an idea, about two and a half episodes per month, which gives us 30 episodes. And now we have to go to the real serious questions that people ask me when they see me. They say, so can you see how many people are listening to your podcast. And so I wanted to share whatever stats I was able to pull from Spotify and iTunes. So in general, my podcast averages about 170 average listeners per episode, which means some could be 100. Uh, the most, which was my first episode, had 400 listeners. It's been uh, steadily downhill uh, since then. Uh, I kid, some are more, some are less. And it's a combination of Spotify, about 80% of the people listen on Spotify and 20% listen on iTunes. I have a combination of a total, sorry, of 242 subscribers. And as new people hear about the show uh, every day, some people will discover the back catalog and will listen to those episodes. Spotify also shares with me that listeners to my podcast, uh, these are the most commonly listened to artists of people who listen to my podcast. So this is the other singers that they are listening to on Spotify. Here we go. Avram Fried, Ishai Rebo, Benny Friedman, Yaakov Shweki, and Eighth Day. I'm not making this up. This is a very from audience. Thank you very much. So uh, the other thing I can just say is I want to encourage everybody out there to create something, whatever it is. And if you're concerned that it's going to come out half-baked, this uh, podcast is proof that you can release something that is half-baked. You can give pleasure to others. Uh, I strongly suggest it. It's a great uh, thing for inner peace to go off and create something. Uh, first finish listening to them on this podcast, obviously, and then I would suggest you go do something. Uh, create a a school or a controversy or uh, a building, something along those lines. Now, another day, this was actually this week, I was uh, walking around in a state of shock. And that is because 
I sat down to do the daunting task of recalculating our monthly expenses, otherwise known as the monthly nut. Now, when I clicked on Excel, the shortcut to total this all up, Excel, I guess with the artificial intelligence, actually did an autofill that said, oh crap, that's a lot of money. So definitely the you know, the, these, these, this artificial intelligence is, is getting a lot smarter. Now, when I saw that number, like I said, I was in complete shock. And I did not throw a tantrum. I behaved and conducted myself like, a com- like an adult, the adult that I am. And so, like an adult, I quickly drove home, uh, grabbed a an emergency roach that was uh, nestled in my barbecue for safekeeping and uh, proceeded to take the edge off, drive right back to my office and continue plowing through work for the rest of the day. The reason why I say this was a very adult thing to do is because to drive, you need to be over 18. To consume cannabis, you have to be over 21, right? A kid if he would see like how much his expenses were and he was like really frustrated, he can, he can uh, do Play-Doh or Lego. For me, I had, you know, other means. And then I continued to go work for the rest of my day because I figure I want to at least cover 50, 60% of my monthly expenses. Now, I do want to have a, a, a story that I want to share with you, a quite frightening one, and it may serve as a lesson for you all. So at some point in time in my life, a friend of mine gifted me a small quantity of cannabis. And for safekeeping, I don't want to keep it in the house because it does smell like skunk on a good day. And so I placed it on the barbecue. And of course, that evening that my friend gifted me that cannabis I was not around when my wife ignited the barbecue and poof, there went my cannabis and there was just an odor that was coming out of the barbecue. My wife realized that that was where I was safekeeping this cannabis. And so I guess what I really want to to get the point across here is that do not keep your recreational drugs in the family barbecue because it could lead to this type of situation. Uh, now, one thing I noticed when we, I, we when I was tallying up my household expenses is that a huge chunk of change and of the budget goes towards cleaning help. As a result, uh, you will never find money laying around our house not because uh, you know we're very clean, but it's just because all that money that we're using to pay for the cleaning help uh, means that there's just no more money to be laying around. Even some of the spare change that was in the couch, we've used it on occasion to help uh, pay for this for the cleaning help. Now. This is for all the people who are from and go to Shul on Shabbos 
And if I was a betting man, I would tell you that as you're sometimes walking or trying to dash out of the house to show and make sure you're on time for Kiddush Club, your wife will look at you and say, you're going to show? Yeah. Are you taking the kids? Now, I want to translate that question, are you taking the kids? Are you taking the kids doesn't mean you have free choice now. If you want, maybe. If you could take him, not take him. Are you taking the kids means you better take the kids. All of them kids. Even the babies. Put them all in a shopping cart and push them to show. I don't want to see any child for the next four hours. I have a book, a romance novel, by the way, featuring a male character who actually always takes his kids to show in the book, so you should too. And there's a hot show in here, and I'd like to forget about the fact that I married you or had these kids for the next couple of hours. Now, if you don't take those kids to show, when you come back, all your stuff will be burnt to the ground in ashes or complete ashes. I won't singe them. They'll be done. So that's that's the definition of that thing. And so what you try to do is you say, well, how can I take them all to school? Like, how am I, how am I going to talk with my friends, go to the kiddush club, and then daven for a couple of minutes if I have to babysit these kids? And your wife will say, well, send them to the kids program. And then you say, well, they don't like the kids program. They go in the kids program. They come out of the kids program. So your wife will tell you, just stay with them at the kids program. That's just what you got to do. And stay at the Kiddush as long as possible. And also, if you can feed them at the Kiddush, it's a massive bonus. Because hopefully by the time you get back, I'm already deep napping. Now, I have a friend who had a friend who had a different friend who knew the Boston Strangler. I think it was the Boston Strangler. So the Boston Strangler used to go out to the park at night to find innocent people to strangle he would tell his wife, honey, I'm going, you know, he, he had a very transparent relationship with his wife. And he would say, honey, I'm going now to the park to strangle a couple innocent bystanders or just people jogging that won't know what hit them. And this guy's wife would always say, that's great, but are you taking the kids with you? And the Boston Strangler would be like, we're going to, you know, it could be hours until I find somebody vulnerable enough who I can choke to death. And his wife would be, that's okay. Just pack snacks. Let the kids sit in the car. Bring them their screens. Bring them their tablets. And, and that will be it. I, I think that the reason why a lot of from wives are, you know, always nervous that their husbands are going to get, you know, pinched or caught in a white-collar crime is they'd go away for prison, but if there was a kids program at prison, I think parents, would, or I think the wives would maybe encourage their husbands to be like, hey, maybe you should do a little white-collar tax evasion, you know, get away for a couple of years from this house so I could finally have my own bathroom like I used to before I met you, and there's a kids program. Take the kids, and when you know, I'll, I'll send you guys clothing every couple of months, and I'll make sure that you know, just make sure that everything is is running uh, hunky dory.
I find that in our society, and I am in the society, so this includes myself for this next piece of criticism, is that everybody, there's just one one upmanship, and I will give you an example for myself. So I flew JetBlue this week, and the flight attendant said, you're sitting in an exit row. Thank you very much. I just wanted to (coughs) call that out, that I was sitting in an exit row, and she says, are you willing to help in case there's an emergency? To which I replied, you should know, ma'am, that even if I was not sitting in the emergency row, if there was an emergency on the plane, I, Shmuel Tendenhaus, would volunteer. Shmuel Tendenhaus of the Shmuel Tendenhaus podcast. My point is that I really want to demonstrate to them that I'm not just a team player because I'm in the exit row. I am completely a team player even if I didn't have a little more leg room or my seat uh, didn't recline as much as it did. Next, uh, I was in a bar at some point in time with my wife. And it's dim and the music is playing and it's hip-hop and I'm nodding my head. And I discovered that the song that's being played is a Kanye West song. Now, I did not go over to the barkeep and say, hey, this guy's a rabid anti-Semite. I'm not feeling safe right now. If you can turn this off, I did not do that because I believe in freedom of expression. However, to protest the Kanye song, I stopped nodding my head. And I held my head high like a statue until pretty much I left that bar just in case Another Kanye songs, another Kanye song would come on. I didn't even bend my head down to drink the beer that I had. I picked it up and poured it down my throat so it should never look like I was, you know, moving my head in sync with the Kanye song. Now, we are about to unpack a tale of what it was like. Uh, going on uh, Yeshiva Week, traveling with the family. And it's a cautionary tale for both couples and non-couples alike. So we went to Atlanta. It's a short flight, couldn't drive, it was too long. And we'll start with, at some point in time, the night before we go, my wife tells me, hey, I'm packed. The kids are packed because I pack them. If you want to put anything in the suitcase, I'm going to put it out on the bed and just make sure to put whatever stuff you want to take along with you in the suitcase. Now, this wouldn't have been that cool except for the fact that every single time we fly, my wife tells me the same thing. And then I was by a relative's house, and I heard his wife tell him the exact same thing, which leads me to conclude that the wives are super responsible because they're making sure that they're packed for the trip and the kids are packed. All the men are doing is trying to figure out how they're going to get a free ride to the airport. Clothing, eh, eh, the kids, eh, suitcases. It's just about the free ride to the airport. You lend somebody a car, somebody from Shul will take you, you call an old favor. Um, But thank God 
for wives. The next thing that happened was, uh, in addition to me trying to arrange uh, an airport trip, which, by the way, we ended up taking uh, Ubers, multiple, with all the, with all the suitcases and, and people and other uh, stuffies that we brought. So I was volunteered to make sandwiches. And in the process of making sandwiches, I made a bunch of sandwiches. I put them back into the bag where I took the bread out and then I tied the bag. And then my wife, who was then taking the sandwich bag while she was inspecting it, doing a one-over to see what sort of job does the husband do when you give him a small, easy task. She looks at the sandwich bag and she says, what is with you and these tight knots? How in the world is anybody supposed to open up this bag and take the sandwiches out? Now, let's just unpack that. Not the bag, but the statement. First of all, she's absolutely correct, my wife. Those are tight knots. I thought I was doing a service to society by making sure nobody could break into our bag because only we have the magic code to untie the bag. The next thing is I realized that when my wife said, what is with you and your tight bag knots, I realized this this wasn't a one-time occasion. We're now married for 13 plus years. So this is something that must have irritated my wife for 13 plus years. Which also leads me to conclude that one, my wife is a righteous woman, first for marrying me, two, putting up with somebody who takes sandwiches and pretty much locks them up forever because it's such a tight knot on the bag. Now, the most frightening thing is there must be thousands of other things that I have no idea that my wife is holding on to that have never come up in therapy. Like we've gone to couples therapy across the country, multiple, multiple, multiple therapists. We've really invested hard on this. And the fact that I take a bag with sandwiches and I make the knot so tight like a tefillin knot that you can't really open it. Like that never came up in therapy. I mean, maybe now it will because it's been unpacked. But again, just a scary thought to to start thinking like how many other things that I don't know about are out there. Now, in Atlanta, one thing we did amongst other things is we went to the aquarium. Why? Because every tour book and everybody that we spoke to about Atlanta said, oh, they have that aquarium, make sure to go. When everybody recommends you do something that is an immediate red flag not to do it, and I should have seen this earlier. Here's why myself, that's me, Shmuel Tenel, Shmuel Tenel's podcast, my wife, my children, none of us liked it, but I hated it most, more than anybody else. So... And this also, again, should serve as a public service announcement. So I get to the box office and my kids are there and my wife is there. And I see on the ticket kiosk, it is $50 a ticket for adults and children. Let me repeat that. $50 a ticket for adults and children. And so at that point, I was at the point of no return because what should I have have done at that point. Just 
pretend that I had broken my foot and get rushed the ER? I mean, that's a good idea, but I only thought about that as I was recording the podcast. So that's something that potentially you can do, but everybody was expecting to go into the aquarium. So reluctantly, I take out my credit card and let's max this thing out to buy tickets to the aquarium. Now, in the aquarium itself, uh, so again, tickets were hundreds of dollars. In the aquarium itself, uh, it was very a very disorienting experience. Number one, the lights are kind of dim because I guess fish are very sensitive to light. Uh, there's a lot of kids from different schools running around there. And I guess that's, that's so interesting that there was schools of kids and schools of fish. How deep? How deep does this go? Uh, and... And, and then, so and the other thing is I was so still disoriented from the fact that I had paid $50 a ticket for my kids to go into this. I'm like, for another $700 per ticket, I could take them all to Disney World because $750 a ticket. So that was the uh, first thing. The next thing uh, about the aquarium is all my kids really wanted to do was go to the gift shop to buy souvenirs. So basically, I spent now $50 from my kid to go into a place where he's just looking for the gift shop to buy another thing. Uh, so the other, I was also just thinking like, why would it be $50 to take your kids to the aquarium? What are they feeding the fish there? Are they, is, are, are they feeding the fish sushi, filet mignon, just different stuff? high expensive stuff that they're getting on Uber Eats or, or Instacart. When you're spending that much money to take your family to the aquarium, I would like, A, the aquarium to give me a plaque, some mention on the wall that this guy came here with his family and they they visited the gift shop and they bought things there. I'm not saying the thing has to be, the plaque has to be there forever. I mean, you can have a donor come along a year or two from now and take my name down. The second thing is, is that uh, I would like to leave with a shark or an exotic fish that I would just take as a souvenir because we're paying now for the upkeep. The third thing is that we should not have to make lunch. They should serve us a fish lunch, obviously, because so many fish in the aquarium and the fish are eating the other fish. So why not give to us? We're the, the philanthropists who came and paid for tickets to the go to the aquarium. So am I saying don't go to the aquarium? I'm saying... Yes, absolutely. Do not go to the aquarium unless you can take somebody's badge or ticket if they have an annual membership or if you do a lot of research online and somehow you're able to finagle less expensive tickets. Now, in Atlanta, we also visited a couple of the, a couple of the kosher restaurants. And an observation that I'll share here is that nobody in the Jewish community move there because of the kosher restaurants. Because if they did move for the kosher restaurants, it would be halachically a mekachtos because they would feel like they got conned. They thought there were restaurants and now and then you're giving me this. And maybe I'm just spoiled because I live in South Florida and there's two kosher restaurants for every Jewish person who lives there right now. Uh, you can go to one. There's one milchiks and one fleishiks just depending on where your blood sugar levels are. So, 
another thing is this one particular kosher restaurant that we went to, uh, it wasn't all bad. So the parking was stellar. Like I went f- straight from the car right into the restaurant. Another thing which I liked about the place is the seats were very comfortable. It was a good booth. Like I thought it was good lumbar support while I was sitting down. The menu, excellent. The fonts on the menu, I thought were terrific. In fact, probably some of the nicer fonts I've seen on a menu in a kosher restaurant in a long time. So there were definitely a lot of stuff. The food, eh. But the the parking, the the seating, the menu fonts, what like we say in Hebrew, was ala kefak. We did meet another couple who we were th- uh, while we were there at the restaurant. They were local, so they knew better than to order any of the food. And at that point, I asked my friend who was sitting with me, uh, uh, a friend, a local from Atlanta, if he knew who sells, or not who sells, but if he knew who from the Jewish community has the good W-E-E-D. Because I'm a parent, I don't want to say these words in front of my kids. Now, even if I... Even if my kids could figure out what I was saying, at least there's an educational component here because they are putting letters together and spelling a word. Now, this friend that I asked in the restaurant called another friend who actually came through for me. So uh, big bonus points for the person who came through. And the guy who I asked, asked me, when I told him that, I asked him, who's got the good W-E-E-D? He said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Look, I have a car full of kids here. I'm going on vacation with a bunch of babies. Like, of course I'm serious about uh, my question of uh, uh, drug procurement in Atlanta. Now, <clears throat> there was also an evening that we spent in the ER, one of... Our baby daughters had or caught salmonella. I'm not making this up. Could be from the formula, could be from something else. And so that was another evening that we did. And fortunately, my wife has a friend in Atlanta who she never actually met in person, but I think they somehow liked the same TikTok video of moms with twins. And so we were fortunate enough that that family was there and we were able to drop off some of our kids while we took one baby to the ER. Thank God everybody was okay. And uh, <clears throat> we, w- we picked up our kids a little later on and went back to where we were staying. Another thing, I rented a car on Turo. Uh, first time doing that. And it's kind of Airbnb concept where anybody could put their car or rent it to you. I actually had a terrific experience mainly because you never interact with the people that you're renting the car from, which means this time when I declined insurance, nobody like raised their eyebrows at me and said, are you sure? Like, I don't know, like a pebble can hit the front of your windshield and that whole thing could turn into a big spider. You know, it's going to cost you at least, you know, $9,000 to fix if you just doing a routine oil change at a Jiffy Lube, but online, you just declined coverage. I never met the guy. The key was in the box. There was a huge screen for the TV for my kids. So basically, the idea was they were able to watch TV in the, on vacation in 
in the home we were staying in, and when we would go in the car, we didn't want them to miss a beat. So I don't want them to not be in front of a screen for 60 seconds. So we'd go in the car, turn it on, and say, run, run, run in the car. Okay, it's only going to be like 10, 15 seconds that you won't be watching something. Don't worry about it and, and get them all. Uh, so the final uh, thing I want to share is about this trip is there is nothing more healing in a marriage than the following three or four words. And those words are, I told you, or I told you so. And it said like this, like, I told you, I, I told you, I, I, I told you this was going to happen. So let me elaborate on what I just shared. Uh, so there are two schools of thought in my home. And by the way, this, I don't, this is not about a whodunit here. So no names are going to be revealed. I'm just going to tell you what happened without, again, disclosing any information. So there's two schools of thought in my home when it comes to going to an airport to catch a flight. One school of thought is, let's go as close to the flight as possible because why should we sit in the airport, walk around, and be all relaxed and catch the flight when we could much, you know, much better idea to rush to the airport like a maniac and hustle around through security and make it on the flight because that'll get the adrenaline going and is an experience to remember. The other school of thought is let's go hours in advance, possibly the day before. You know, it's the safe thing to do. Let's charge our phones. Let's bring a blanket. Let's kind of camp out there. And we can go to the stores, retail therapy. Let's buy the kids' sodas because we're on vacation. Why should we, you know, be panicking? Now, like I said, I'm not going to say, you know, what my wife's school of thought is and what mine is. So we end up leaving to the airport. You know, we had a very early morning flight on Friday morning. It was a 7.30 a.m. flight. So the idea was to get to the airport an hour and a half prior to the flight so there would be time for me to return my car, which was just self-parking because it was a Turo car, and uh, carry on check-in. So we're making great time, even though, again, one school of thought is an hour and a half is chump change. You got to be there at least two, two and a half hours because you never know what's going to go wrong. And like I said, it's not important who said, he said, she said. So it's an hour and a half before the flight. Everything is going smoothly. Luggage is checked in and we, there's a lot of time going on. And then we go through security. So the Atlanta airport, the geniuses, they created a stroller line. A stroller line is for people who are traveling with a stroller. Now, on the surface, this appears to be a luxury for people with strollers because now there's a line dedicated to your stroller needs. 
However, there is nothing further than the truth. This is not a luxury line. This is a trap. In fact, if you look at all the miserable people all together on the stroller line, it's basically a real-life billboard uh, that is uh, advocating, let's say, for abortion because otherwise you're stuck on this line with kids in strollers. Now, that line itself, I think, was a 45-minute line, and now we're getting much closer to our flight. Now, Atlanta Airport is so big, you got to take trains in the airport to get to your gate. So we had to take a train with five stops, and now it's getting much closer to our flight. And so as we're waiting to board one of these trains, one of our kids tells my wife that she is not feeling well and we're about to offer her water and she pukes right on the platform like a nice big area. And the amazing thing is, is that this child is very resilient. We didn't stop. We just kept moving. We went right on the train. And not only did we go right on the train, we actually got off the train and we were running to the gate. Now again, if I would have thrown up there, I'd probably be laying down or asking them to call a stretcher. We just left the throw up and all because what were we were supposed to do? I mean, we had a flight to catch and people are just watching the situation, but we don't care because we have to catch the last train out of Atlanta before Shabbos. Otherwise, it's not going to be good. So my son and I are making a run. Of course, it's the last gate in the airport and we're running full speed. And we arrived there at the gate and they had closed the doors. So again, they closed the doors at 7.15. We arrived, let's say, 7.18. And I said, did you close the doors? Yes. The good news is that our luggage went to Florida. So that, that, that made us not feel so bad because, yes, we missed our flight because, in fact, we had missed our flight, but at least our luggage didn't miss our flight. So that's good because, like, the luggage would be hanging out in Fort Lauderdale before we would get to Fort Lauderdale. So this was a very opportune, I told you so moment but nobody really needed to say I told you so because it was so evident. And to make a short story even longer, I told the ticket counter, why wouldn't you just, the woman at the, the, the ticket agent, why wouldn't you just wait for us? We're, we're a, a, a large group of people. And the woman says, well, we have to make sure at JetBlue that we get out on time so other flights could be on time. To which I was already a little bit annoyed that we had missed our flight and we have no luggage anymore. So I said, well, JetBlue has such a terrible reputation to begin with that flights are not on time anyway. So what difference would it mean if you just stayed a little longer? And the ticket agent retorted, well, I can't speak to that, but a lot of people do come to the gate because they shut up late to the airport 
and then try to blame the airline for that. And touche, because uh, this person did have a very good point. So we find ourselves family, kids, one has just thrown up, no car, no place to save for Shabbos, no clothing because our suitcase is Baruch Hashem and made the flight, which is, again, very considerate of the airlines because why does everybody have to suffer? Why would the suitcases have to suffer? Because we were stuck in a stroller lane, which, by the way, nobody should ever get stuck in a stroller lane. If you're traveling in Atlanta airport and you see the stroller lane, don't be tempted. Give the stroller away. You can get another stroller. I advise you to just go on a different line. The stroller line is not the right line for you to go on. Anyways, the short story of this very long story, which I already shortened and lengthened different parts of, is by God's grace and the fact that we had a rent a car from Turo that I was able to walk right back and get it, change the tickets. Uh, my wife is very skilled at shopping online and buying new stuff that we needed for Shabbos. A family was kind enough it was actually a shliach. It was kind enough to let us stay in his ho- in their home for Shabbos. And the person who came through for me the first time and delivered some W-E-E-D for me was able actually to get me a Shabbos shirt and a little more W-E-E-D. So right before Shabbos, while my wife and children are lighting candles, I could also do my lighting and we ended up spending Shabbos in there and having a terrific Shabbos. It just goes to show you that God has plans. And just because it was our idea to go home before Shabbos because it was going to be more convenient, we actually had a wonderful, beautiful Shabbos there in the Atlantic community. And I do think that this would be a great JetBlue commercial based on experience where you see a family running through the airport, a kid throwing up, babies diapers and they arrive at the gate and the ticket agent says i'm so sorry at JetBlue, we're very concerned to make sure our flights are on time thank you very much so i do think that would be again a very funny commercial to see the family because on one side it's very sad for the family gets stuck there but on the other hand it's a commitment from the airline to be on time anyways uh, I want to thank you all in general for listening to my podcast. And like I said, I want to encourage you, whether you've thought about making a podcast and you just keep thinking about it, or there are other things like that. Uh, it's time uh, that you do something about it. And uh, thank you and talk to you soon.